Welcome to Crushgasm, the podcast dedicated to the highs and lows of crushes. From their first to their worst, we're going to cover them all with a cascade of characters, including our guest today, someone who is always armed with a pin, Joni B. Cole, a mother, author, teacher, and connector who is here to talk not only about her humorous and helpful publications, but also her crush that's fittingly on another writer, Mindy Kaling, the writer behind not only her own series, The Mindy Project, and Never Have I Ever, but also a lot of the most iconic episodes of The Office. Joni, how are you? Hey, Kendra. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. A little tired, but I'm excited. I work at a school, so Christmas break is coming. (laughs) (laughs) This episode will come out in the future, but everyone know I'm really excited about Christmas break. (laughs) Understandable. Yeah, you're educators. Well, you know those breaks when they come, you're just like, oh, counting down the days. (laughs) And they go by so fast. Right. Thanksgiving was like, it was like Wednesday and I was like where did my week go I have to cook tomorrow no <laughs> oh lord well well take it take what you can get right mm-hmm. so before we get into Mindy and your writing can you tell people where they can find you online sure um, my author website's probably the best place com. so it's j-o-n-i-b-cole-c-o-l-e.com Pretty simple. So let's get into Mindy because she has been a staple in pop culture for some time now. Like I mentioned, she pinned a lot of the best episodes of The Office. She went on to have her own shows and create a few more after that. But you didn't become enamored with her work until the pandemic kept everybody at home. Uh, So what made you initially turn on the follow-up series to The Office, The Mindy Project? I know. Isn't that weird how I'm always watching series like a decade after they're <laughs> with. But it's great because then you can binge watch like all nine seasons or whatever. But I, I have no idea how I came to that show, The Mindy Project, other than, you know, who doesn't want a break and a laugh, especially during that interlude. And man, from episode one, I just thought this is so not only funny, but she she manages to kind of have sweet stories and funny stories and very irreverent stories all at the same time so i just i I think now at this point i probably watched that series at least three times fully through oh wow you beat me i tried to i've watched it when it came out because i was a big fan of mindy and then i tried to rewatch it again but i think it's just like i don't know i probably got into something else but yeah it's really good um thinking back one of my favorite aspects of the show uh it was that she kind of allowed her character to be like a big hot mess but you know she she found the balance there and I mean, the show starts off with her being questioned by the police after she drinks way too much at one of her ex's weddings, which my I love Bill Hader, love that cameo. But yeah, I want to know what you admired most about how she wrote her character as well as some of the supporting cast members. Yeah, that's a, actually an excellent question. I like that you're right in some ways, a portion of her life is a big hot mess. And, <laughs> and, um, and she's just so human. But also somehow she managed to give that character a lot of not just self-confidence but a little bit of full of herselfness <laughs> and and how she managed that balance was really interesting to me because if a character is just too much of a loser i lose interest in a way you know but she made some very bad decisions but she was confident she had a great job she worked hard for a job and she was so herself and and I love the irreverence and I love just certain other traits of her like that she doesn't like to read at all it's all about like 
Hollywood magazines or People magazine. She's really, the character is really honest about that. She doesn't want to date an Indian man, at least in the first series, uh, the first season or two of the series. And, you know, there's things that she says that kind of make you like, whoa, but it, it worked when she did it. It was really, really, I don't know. It's just, it's my go-to when I just can't handle anything else and want to be entertained. So it's still my go-to series, though I obviously have other go-to series too. She's so talented, that's for sure. Were there any other characters you liked on the show that you found yourself like loving as much as hers? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I love her love interest, you know, that she ends up marrying or, or not married. Did they ever get married? Yeah, married, divorced, and then back together again. Mm -hmm. I thought he was really well drawn, drawn a little bit, you know, of that sort of stereotype. Um, where was he from? The Bron Brooklyn, I think. Yeah, he's Brooklyn. like definitely that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, but, um, and I love the way she handles him because, of course, he's, He's definitely sexist and he thinks he's right. And and yet there's another side to him, characters of depth as well. So it, it's just really, yeah, he was really well done. And the other OBGYN, the British guy, he mm -hmm. was, he just made me laugh. And that was interesting because when you watch a series like three or four times, you begin to see things you wouldn't notice. And they really changed his character early on. They did a pivot. Because he was sort of a Lothario, a, you know, ladies man and sleeping with everyone. And then I don't know what episode it was, but pretty quickly he became more the character he was the rest of the, the run of the series, which was a, a much more interesting character. A little bit of it, you know, afraid of his dad back in England. And um, while well, he's very good looking, a little unsure of himself and, and just, and just I don't know, they, they did a really good job with him too. I don't think there's a character that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she brought in a lot of good side characters, which I think helps. And I like that, you know, because Mindy Kaling's so connected, she was able to bring a lot of good cameos in as her like uh, romantic interest over the season, over the years. So I was like that too, like seeing Seth Meyers on there. That was a good one. But I want to know, like Mindy Kaling, she's not a stranger in saying that she's she loves rom-coms. And the Mindy Project definitely felt like a rom-com series. And I know she pulls a lot from Nora Ephron, who's like the OG queen of rom-coms and yeah. Mindy's a fan too. Were you a fan of Nora Ephron at all? I even liked When Harry Met Sally and all. I... I... For some reason, I didn't have quite that same. I mean, man, that woman was talented for sure, and and had a diverse sort of um, um, script that she wrote. I read her last book. I think it was her last book, an essay collection. I feel bad about my neck, and you know, I really like that too. Um, so yeah, she's super, super talented, but um, but I never quite connect. Lost you or rewatch some of those movies, I, I would love them. But there's no doubt how gifted she is. Mm -hmm. So back to Mindy, because the, once people find something or some like someone new or something they love, we tend to fall down a rabbit hole with that thing, whether it be like a romantic crush or like a crush like this, where it's like on the talent. Did you check out any of her other shows or read any of her other books during like COVID? Be like, oh, I like this. So maybe I'll check out, you know, this that she's done. Um, boy, I love the movie that she starred in, and I think she wrote, and now I'm blocking the name of that British actress that was married to Kenneth Branagh. What, what is her name? But And she played um, a talk show host, similar to a Jimmy mm -hmm. Fallon. And mm -hmm. Mindy was sort of the a, a new writer in her writer's room. I thought that was a 
really good movie, but now it's really bothering me that I can't think of it. So yeah, it's called Late Night, and it is lovely star, Emma Thompson. That's right. Thank you so much. That was like not a fun, you know, moment that I forgot those names, but I thought that was really, really well done. And then, um, really well done actually. And and I loved her acting in that because it wasn't, it, it wasn't a rom com character. You know, mm -hmm. she was a writer trying to get ahead and she had to fit in with the boys room and, and Emma Thompson was fantastic. Then I've read um, some of her collections or even her short stories or essays rather that come out from Amazon now. She releases like one or two at a time. And I, I really enjoy them. I don't get quite the, the same kick, you know, whether it's on for the screen or in terms of her own essays. There's mm -hmm. such authenticity in her writing. She just... I can, I learn a lot from her because I also write essays. So I just want to, I wish I could thank her in person. Oh, she's really humble. I told her she was my writing muse once and she's like, oh no, don't say <laughs> You met her? Yeah, the, in LA they have the, well, they used to, now it's just in New York. They have the thing, the Paley Center. So it's kind of like, if you're a big TV nerd, this is like a really cool place to go. But the Paley Center does Paley Fest where they like have the cast and like creators of shows come. It's like, usually in March in LA when I used to live there. And yeah, she did it once with the Mindy Project and I went to that one. It's oh, really cool fun. to go. Yeah. That, here, that would be so fun. Yeah, so well, they used to have it at a smaller theater in LA and it was really cool and you can get a really good picture because the stage wasn't so high. But then they moved it to where they do the Oscars and the stage is way higher. So your pictures are horrible if you can even get close and they've just upped the price. But I don't live there anymore, so can't go again. But yeah, it was cool once upon a time. Yeah, I don't know if I would even take advantage of that because she actually, I live right by Dartmouth College and she went to Dartmouth and then she was the speaker just maybe last year or two years I don't remember exactly but I was too nervous to go up to her so yeah <laughs> it could be intimidating too I mean she has an aura around her but it's funny you mentioned Dartmouth because I was just gonna say you teach over at her alma mater but what kind of student do you imagine a 20-something Mindy Kaling would have been if she was in your one of your classes oh my god I think she would have been so fun um, my classes are always interactive, you know, where you you write and you share every week and then you get feedback and you give feedback to other people and it's all really towards helping each other. So it's really supportive, but it's really craft focused. And I just think she'd, she'd be as sharp as can be, you know, both in terms of her own writing, but also in terms of offering some feedback to the other writers. She's got to be fun, but I I don't know. That's funny to think a uh, to think about her, you know, back in in the day and whether she even took creative writing. I'm actually I teach one off classes at Dartmouth. Like often I'll teach for the graduate program, so I'm not a professor there. I don't teach creative writing to undergrads, but I teach for the Dartmouth Writers Society or when they want a special workshop at you know the Hood Museum, which is a Dartmouth College or some other Dartmouth. Um, program. So I teach in those kinds of programs. So um, she wouldn't have fallen into one of my classes because she'd be in the undergrad program. But, you know, and, you know, isn't that, isn't that funny that if you see a, a student of yours and then the next thing you know, there they are on the TV or the big screen. That'd be so cool. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, it's really cool when they'll go on talk shows and they think the the teachers that did help them. I know the woman from that created Abbott Elementary, she named it after her uh, teacher, Mrs. Abbott. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's another show. Of course, finally, I'm in the right era. 
you know, I'm watching the show as it's airing, but that's another show I just thought I think is done so well. It, it actually has great similarity to the Mindy Project in that, of course, it's a little farcical, a little over the top, and yet there's still that authenticity. These feel like real people. So it manages that super entertaining factor, but um, but it it's also the way they're not just constantly joking. They're not just comic characters. So that also achieves that really neat balance. Mm-hmm. So I think Ted Lasso kind of does that too, you know? I don't have app. That is like the one streaming service I do not have is Apple. So I don't know the hype around Ted Lasso. I hear it's great. I hope to one day like get to see it somehow. Maybe someone will give me a password. I share with them, share with me, you know, but <laughs> no one I know is Apple. <laughs> yeah, it's really worth it. Not just because I think it's a brilliant show and so do so many other people, but because it's so uplifting and oh. that and yet still funny and a little dark and moody and you know has a lot of elements of real world in it but it just makes you feel good and aspirate it's an aspirational makes you aspire to be a better person so in that sense it's so worth it Hmm. that's probably why a lot of people got into it during the dark times of 2020 2021 because it was aspirational absolutely probably why you got into the mindy project you know like you said you just need a laugh you need a laugh but back to Dartmouth, I want to know, like, if she was to ha- uh, get into one of your graduate classes, had she been there as a graduate student and she came to you for advice on, like, essay writing, what might have you told her? Because, you know, and, and when you're that age, you might not have all the answers yet. Like, <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And because her genre is humor, and while that isn't my genre, my the reviews of my latest book and some of my books often cite the humor. So I think we'd focus a lot on humor and and what works? Where do you try? Where are you trying too hard? I think that's something when they have a natural talent or inclination towards humor, sometimes uh, less experienced writers will, will try to make every sentence a joke, mm-hmm. every sentence a laugh line. So perhaps if she was doing that, you know, we would talk about where it's the most effective and how it can be integrated with also prose that absolutely is telling a story, a personal story, since she writes. Um, in the form of essays that that has also though a real heart connection to the writer and so we probably look at that are you just trying to make it so funny and comic effect or are you do you really have an essay that has both a personal story and to some degree a, a universal impact in it and the humor is just one of the narrative techniques that you use to achieve that so we probably look at that and you know who knows maybe she was at one point sort of a a writer who was a little too surfacey, too superficial. I can't imagine because I think her stuff is so good. But, you know, how do you tap into it? Why are you really writing this other than mild entertainment? And so we could tap into that. Certainly, we talk about craft. Does this scene work? Should this be a scene? What's the pacing like? You know, did you start in the right place? Did you end in the right place? Did you get to the what about what it's about where you tell a great story, a personal story? But but where's that shift in the narrator's mental landscape? How, landscape? How has she evolved or switched a little? And and often that's a little light because the writer herself might not quite get why she's writing that material. It was just a, a story that wouldn't leave her and kept nagging at her. And so we would certainly look at, you know, and what did that story mean to you? Why, why are you telling it? So all the issues that go into powerful writing Um, essay writing from the structure of what often makes a powerful essay to connecting to that real 
that real authentic feeling in the story you're sharing since it is a personal story and then making sure that you know there's a form and a structure and a flow that allows the reader to share in that same I'll use this overused word but that same journey that the essay conveys so who knows if she need any of that teaching but that's the type of stuff we look at in essay writing well, you mentioned tapping into something else and I want to tap into another aspect of your crush of her because I thought it was sweet and interesting that you connected with her on another level aside from the writing and that was her relationship with BJ Novak and for those that don't know he was a fellow office writer and actor and they dated once upon a time but not together anymore but remained best friends but you had your own sort of BJ named Jeff which I was sorry to hear that he has since passed but can you tell us like a little more about you and Jeff's friendship and in hindsight why Mindy and BJ reminded you of your college best friend? Oh yeah, I don't know if they were inseparable, but it seems like they had a close relationship right from the very mm -hmm. beginning. And then one that morphed into a deep, deep friendship. And I think because they're both so creative, they're both writers, it had to have fueled them. You know, mm -hmm. I think writing is a very solitary act, but if you have someone like that, you can bounce stuff off or you make them laugh, even if you're not funny. Um, or they're there to listen, or you know, they just admire you because they're willing to hang out with you so much. They must like a lot about you. And that strikes me as what Mindy and BJ's relationship is. And similarly, I had a friend in college and you know, and, and another decade or so after that named Jeff, who we were the same way, you know, took the creative writing classes together, spent all our time together. Would, um, I went to school in Western Pennsylvania. We would go to Pittsburgh and spend weekends dancing, you know, at the clubs together. And so he really was, uh, I mean, the, the, the main thing besides the loving everything about him was I just never laughed so hard with anyone <laughs> as I did with him constantly. And it was like the kind of laughing that annoys everybody else. Oh. <laughs> doing purposely. But you know, when two people are so kind of full of themselves and into each other, not as boyfriend, girlfriend, this was always friendship, but it's just everything was so funny and then we, of course on top of that we would try to make each other laugh so boy that kind of i was gonna say friendship but it's also friendship is is pretty rare and mm -hmm. god he, he was just so funny i don't <laughs> even know why he was so funny i think we just we just kind of fed into it or something but yeah he was a great a great guy really great guy do you think he would have enjoyed the Mindy project? Yes, but I think if we watched it together, we would have had more fun. He yeah. was, he, he stayed out in Pittsburgh. And, you know, since then I went to Minneapolis and Philadelphia and now Vermont. I live in Vermont now, but oh, oh goodness. Absolutely. <laughs> so I also think it's interesting about like what I think it's interesting about having a crush in any regard is being invested in what they're doing like all like if I like an actor I'm like oh what are they going to be doing next or if I like an athlete I'm like oh what team you know if you're a Tom Brady fan you're definitely interested in where he's going to go now that he's retired what's he going to do so I want to know what do you hope to see from Mindy Kaling as a writer next should she stick with comedy and tv or would you like to see her tackle like film and another genre well, on one hand, I don't think she can do anything wrong. She's earned her chops and she's just great. But as mentioned, the movie Late Night, Matt Thompson definitely showed different chops. There was a lot of humor in there for sure, but there was, I'd say that was more a drama than a comedy, even though there was a lot of humor. And so if that's where she wants to go, she sure can do that. And um, yeah, I also like the power she wields mm -hmm. in Hollywood. 
So even if she remained behind the scenes, I would admire her. Uh, when she spoke at the Dartmouth um, graduation, I think it was, the theme was, why not me? And I love that attitude about her, you know, why not her, you mm -hmm. know? And she's proven that you can rise to the top if you're willing to work and certainly have a lot of talent like she does. So I don't care what she does next. I'd be interested in following it. So, yeah, so it'll be fun to see where, where she goes next and what she does. Yeah, I'm really interested. I was a big fan of her Netflix series, Never Have I Ever. It was like the teen comedy. And she did it really well. She didn't overstay its welcome. She went, you know, ninth through 12th grade with the characters and ended it there. And I was like, perfect. Because some, I don't like when teen shows are like, well, let's follow them into college. And you're like, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's was... actually on my to watch next list. That I haven't seen yet. Oh, speak, if you thought Mindy's character was a hot mess in the Mindy Project, wait till you meet Danny in this one, Debbie in this one. <laughs> yeah, well, I oh. look forward to that. I did see another series that she did about a guy that um, worked at a sports store. She wasn't in it very much at all, but it was her oh, series. Yeah, um, Champion. It didn't, it only was one season, but it was really funny. Yeah, I thought it was cute. I Yeah, I liked it. Again, I like just seeing... You know, if you don't necessarily hit it out of the ballpark, and I'm not at all criticizing the show, but what I like to see was her stretch. She stretched. Mm -hmm. This was a totally new character, totally new domain, you know, and she played, of course, a very different character. And I, I think that's the coolest thing. One more thing to admire is, you know, you don't have to stay in your lane. And also to create totally different universes, mm -hmm. you know, is just really really great you know but don't be afraid to stop what you're doing and create a new show try something different and i think she's a great model for that okay she's done a lot and since the office but yeah she'll she'll always be one of the greats for yeah, tv i forgot right? about the office i mean of course i've seen it but that's right we didn't even talk about her on the office uh, amazing i mean she's again she's wrote some of the most like i remember somebody saying like oh what does she know and something like that and she's like well the clip you're sharing is the one i wrote so <laughs> like, <laughs> like what do i know i wrote that so we talked about mindy so i want to talk about writing um, do, 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 do. so for me i can pinpoint the moment i knew that words that i wrote could have an impact but what about you do you remember the instance where you thought yeah i'm gonna be a writer oh gosh good question um not really and it, this isn't the first time i've been asked that but i always liked um being told i was creative usually because i was writing something so it wasn't like oh i just want to be a writer and i you know, we'll find meaning in words. And I love the act of writing, but I love when people told me I was creative or laughed at my stories. And um, so that appeal then I think led to me pursuing it and then learning the craft of writing and, um, you know, making it my livelihood. So, but, you know, writing is hard. So, you know, there's always <laughs> that push, pull, but honestly, nothing is more satisfying when I finished a, an essay that I think really works. And um, so that, when you get that kind of reward, it's well worth the effort. But yeah, it was more just a feeling of way back, even in elementary school, being told consistently I was creative and that certainly must have fed it. Plus I'm so singularly unqualified to do most other <laughs> most other things. So. Oh my God, I'm with you on that. I like, I was gonna ask, did you have any career backup plans? But once you start writing, it's hard to like 
do anything else like this i'm almost 40 and this preschool thing is my first like actual full-time job that's not like creative well i mean i do little art projects daily but you know i think most jobs can be creative maybe not for for me doing them but you know like the the sciences are creative and teaching is creative in any grade you know because you bring something there and you have to continually innovate and also i don't think just the arts are creative or allow for creativity but of course if it's not your thing it's not your thing and i didn't really have a backup plan my backup plan was i had to spend a lot of time writing stuff i didn't want to write you know because it paid the bills articles and um some marketing materials and i had to do that for quite a long time in my career to support myself and then also even while I was creative writing and even selling some books at that point I still needed that kind of cash flow and income that came from freelance writing but yeah that was my big dues was writing an awful lot of brochures and headlines and copy things like that but you know I got something out of it for sure and learned a lot and learned discipline and Certainly learn to pay attention to language and write to a deadline and write to a, a word count. Um, but I can't say it rocked my world. <laughs> well, all of that led to you writing a book on how to write. It's called Good Naked. And when it came time to write that, did you think of all the advice you'd got or more importantly, wish that you had gotten when you were starting out? When I wrote Good Naked, most of the inspiration came from i had i've been teaching for like 20 years teaching creative writing workshops to adults whether you know in my community or online or whatever so like 20 years of teaching and learning from every single participant in those workshops gave me this mass of both how to teach creative writing or to inspire people who want to do creative writing but also much of my understanding of how to do that, how writers thrive, how writers get in their own way, you know, things that writers overlook. Much of that came from being in those workshops for all those years with, you know, the, the writers taking my class or the aspiring authors taking my class. And and often they taught me as much from either their successes and mistakes or but taught me much about writers' mindsets, taught me how to teach craft. Um, so all that experience went into that um, first book. I wrote two books for writers, but that first book, Good Naked, which um, is is one of the chapters is called Good Naked. And there's a real reason it's called that. It has to do with when and how we should share our drafts to help us write more, write better, and be happier. Because a lot of people hold on to their drafts to, because they're nervous or people are going to hate it or, um, you know, it's not perfect. And so that chapter specifically deals with sharing your drafts often in a safe space early rather than later can so inspire the creative process so that that's where that title came from but yeah it's that all that teaching i just felt like wow i i think i get this i get how to teach creative writing i even more so i i know how to motivate and help people get out of their way who want to write and so that's what went into that book and and i hope it's inspirational and it's another book that got touted for its humor which is fairly rare in writing books you know (laughs) guides for writers but i felt that a lot of storytelling in those chapters to give examples and uh, and then humor just comes naturally through my storytelling helped to convey the messages 
that I wanted to convey. So I think it's fun when people say how funny Good Naked is, but it's, it's a very serious intent, which is if you want to write Good Naked, which is then subtitled How to Write More, Write Better and Be Happier, is very much a book that I hope helps you to sit down and write and feel confident and 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 do just what the subhead promises. Write more, write better and be happier. And then you switched gears. You dropped Party Like It's 2044, which isn't that far away when you think about it. Um, you dropped that September 2023 and that one centered more on essays. Um, did binge watching the Mindy Project and getting into Mindy Kaling like help you like inspire any of the pieces in that one? <laughs> Uh, that's funny. I'm sure that she was part of the inspiration. I don't connect it with watching that show or reading her essays and thinking, hey, I can do that. But certainly as I was writing this book, I was reading essay collections that that I liked. And so I'm sure I read several of her essays at the time. You know, it's it's one thing to be inspired by other writers, which I probably was inspired by her. But, you know, you the only way that I can write anyway is in my own voice, especially in the personal essay genre. So um, I think maybe the biggest inspiration I get from other essayists isn't exactly how they write, but when I see they tell these quote little stories, maybe just about going to a party or feeling insecure or going to the grocery store, which are the subject you know, of certain essays by my favorite um, authors, they but they make something very meaningful out of it and because mine are attempting to do the same thing i don't have big stories you, you, you know like i went skydiving or i took a trip around the world the story might seem small but something i know from that happened in that experience was meaningful and that's why it became a personal essay the other people do that to make something out of a moment that might seem small but for them it wasn't and there was a takeaway that encouraged me you know you're doing okay Joni you can do the same thing so um so I think you know sometimes her stories are like that as well it's not a big event a big plot but it's an experience where something came out of it the the author was a little bit changed or shifted and and through her great storytelling and hopefully you know through my storytelling as well the reader gets it, feels it, you know, is entertained, but even more than that. So I'm sure, every, you know, I'm, there's inspiration everywhere. And since I like her so much, I'm sure somehow she worked her way into my psyche and inspired Party Like It's 2044. Well, thinking you're pulling inspiration from everywhere, but going further, further back, elementary school, Joni, what like do you think set the foundation for like your storytelling ability? Were you watching a lot of cartoons? Were you watching like, I don't know, TV, movies, reading a lot? Were you like a bookworm? What was going on there? Yeah, I think it was more the latter, a bookworm. Certainly I watched a lot of TV, like, you know, um, but I think it was more like, um, the Nancy, starting with the Nancy Drew mysteries, just loving storytelling and loving being in a good book. And um, there was, you know, I can remember some, I forget the titles, but some books, for example, in fifth grade, I loved reading those biographies like of Abigail Adams or other famous women in history, Clara Barton. And man, I love those. And I'm sure that that foundation of reading and getting so lost in books has to feed a writer's ambitions to some degree so yeah you know there's a, obviously a connection between reading and writing and so 
Um, boy, yeah, I certainly love to read from, I don't know, from the time I could read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm noticing that with the pre-K kids. Like, if you don't spawn it, like, now, I don't know how much you're going to want to read when you get older. Like, you have to just introduce a kid to a book. I had a lot. That's why I noticed, too, that I think I learned to read because my dad sat me down with books all the time and I watched Wheel of Fortune and saw all the letters. And so I was thinking, so cute. <laughs> I didn't. Great. <laughs> I always thought the answer was the thing on the bottom, you know, that it's like, you know, before and after. Wasn't that smart to connect that part, but I knew there were letters coming on the screen, but I was always like, the answer's right there. That's funny, Kendra, that's great. (laughs) Well, related to that, you know, I don't, I can't say Wheel of Fortune inspired me in any way, though I think it's fun to watch, but I, I also really do love words. And when you get just the right word, it's almost like solving a crossword puzzle or something, which is another thing that I really like. Um, so I think that that affinity too, just for words and word choices, in addition to reading, in addition to, in addition to liking the feeling when people said I'm creative. And now with the new books, liking the feeling when people say I'm funny or when they write and say a story moved them, you know, that that's such a huge payoff to get to play with words, to get feedback on your writing, to get some nice reviews of your writing that it's worth, it's well worth the the work that goes into writing. So mm-hmm. um, it's just really, and the other thing is in the personal essay genre, um, you're learning about yourself and it has to get bigger than that in the essay. I don't mean size wise bigger, but it can't just be a, then I did this and then I did this and then I felt sad. It's so far from, from that, but but you are exploring your own personal experiences, particularly ones that for whatever reason, no matter how small, had some kind of like, what was that? Why do I feel this way? Why do I keep thinking about that that little event? And man, that's, that's healthy. So mm-hmm. that's a bonus when you write personal essays. It's uh, therapeutic, I always say, when you get to write about yourself and life and all that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, the the challenge of an essay is it's got to go so far beyond yourself in terms of what it means and communicates to people that are not yourself. But it's still a true benefit because you're exploring something and what your perspective was or why it affected you. And the word essay means to try. So a lot of times the writing process is you're just trying to figure out why did I do that? Why do I feel that way? You know, why is this story keep asserting itself? And in that trying to figure out why you do get some enlightenment in yourself and you get a pretty good story out of it if you craft your way towards it. Speaking of asking yourself questions, on top of everything you do, the teaching, the writing, you host a podcast called Author Can I Ask You. I don't know what spawned that idea in your head where you're like, let me do something else. Let me add more to my plate. Was I crazy or what? Because... (laughs) You know, in the span of basically three years, I expanded good, revised and expanded good naked. And to to allow a book to be called revised and expanded, you really need a lot of new material. There's a there's sort of a bar. So I had to, you know, expand that. And then then I got a contract for Party Like It's 2044. And then I did the same thing with my other writing guide, Toxic Feedback helping writers survive and thrive. And I got a contract to expand and revise that edition. So it honestly felt like I wrote three books or maybe two and a half books in a way. Party Like It's 2044 was from scratch. But so to add a podcast to the mix is just, I think, a a symptom of insanity. But it was fun. And particularly we'd been so isolated and it was a fun way 
to have an excuse to reach out to any author that I admire and say, hey, will you talk to me? And it was both to talk about their book to some degree, if they had a new book out, but fairly quickly, I like to then get to just questions they're not usually asked, a little bit about their writing lives or their creator lives, but other questions too, maybe related to the material in the book. And so the author, can I ask you, was sort of an excuse to connect, like, I would love to have Mindy Kaling on the show and not just talk about their book so they could promote it, which mm -hmm. I made sure that we honored that a little bit and people were well aware of their title and particularly if it was a new title at the time. But so it was just an excuse to get to talk to cool people. And I was so <laughs> surprised because from the beginning, most often they said yes. And then pretty soon their publicists started reaching out to me. I'm like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. you know, like so that's pretty cool that's cool you're just like i want to talk to you you need to get rl stein the guy behind goosebumps because that's an author i would love to talk to as well oh well then you should invite him on for sure but be yeah it is kind of neat but what was also funny was sometimes the authors with the smaller books or whatever ended up being to, in my opinion the most interesting episodes and, you know, and or if someone was really animated, the conversation would really be fun and, and sort of take slight twists and turns. And so um, some are more straightforward. The author kind of just wanted to promote their book. But I could always tell sometimes when an author fairly quickly, I hope we'd be starting a conversation, get into it. And we're surprised that the questions were deeper than they expected, that we went somewhere <laughs> where they hadn't been asked the same question all along. And that was part of the concept too. And so I could almost feel the shift where like, oh, this this podcast host has something going on, you know? <laughs> she's she's not just, you know, whatever. And so it was neat, but yeah, not, you know, I had mostly novelists, one or two poets, because poetry isn't quite my genre in terms of talking about it. I certainly mm -hmm. love poetry. So it was a, it was fun, but a lot of work. Because I really did want to read their at least their newest book, if not more. I did prepare questions, and so you know the drill. But it was it it was and is fun. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to mention that also on top of all of that, you have taught like creative writing at places like women's shelters and VA hospitals, which I really admire because I think writing and being able to tell a story is a skill that everyone should have. Unfortunately, it's not a skill everyone has, but they should. But did you just show up one day at these places or was it something that you like coordinated? Because it's like, I don't know, how do you get started in doing something like that? Because that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like you have all the time in the world, Kendra. But, you know, if someone like you reached out <laughs> because, um, no, I didn't because I started and run what's called the Writer's Center of White River Junction, Vermont. That's the name of my town. There was a little bit of a public face to a Writer's Center of White But the reality is I am the Writer's Center of White River Junction. <laughs> I mean, once in a while I would get guest teachers. And now since COVID, there actually isn't even a physical space because after we would had to go online, my class is just mushroom. And I treat, teach people all over the the country and, and even like in Europe, people find these workshops, how they do that, I have no idea. So, but because I had that kind of public face, when somebody wanted a some kind of writing program, mm -hmm. they often would find me. And so, and it's, those things are such gifts to me because 
you know, most of the people that come to my workshops or when I teach at Dartmouth or at writing conferences, those are people who really want to be writers or are writers and, you know, know the benefit of workshops and of conferences. But often in these groups, we would bring in people who writing wasn't necessarily their goal or their ambition, but this community, and it was always based on sort of, I'd throw out a prompt and then they'd write to that writing exercise or prompt, and then we'd talk about it. So it brought in people from the fold who would never take my workshops or many, mm -hmm. most of them wouldn't, because that's not quite their big or end goal, but it brought writing to them. And more than anything, because I didn't push craft the way I do in my own writing classes, but what became so beneficial for them and for me was it did dignify and reassure people that you have really important stories in you. You are interesting and people, outsiders care about your story. So it allowed them to kind of capture their own moments or stories. And we weren't looking at, you know, how it might be improved by revision or whatever. We were just honoring those stories and by sharing them out loud, you know, I think they got and so did I, real validation, you know, your stories matter. And on top of that, you use the word therapeutic and sharing your stories is very therapeutic, especially in an appreciative circle, you mm -hmm. know, of other women who say, I relate, or that was interesting, or I feel for you, or, you know, so it's a really validating experience. And while some of these organizations catered to women who, for example, were in um, domestic situations that were very challenging or even awful, you know, or other, the organizations might focus more on, you know, issues that weren't easy. When we were in writing group, you wouldn't believe how much we laughed mm -hmm. because somehow it was freeing to tell these stories, to share them. And, um, so it was weirdly really uplifting these groups. So, um, yeah, so the VA and WISE, AmeriCorps, I'm trying to think of other places I taught. And I really find it a joy and a, almost kind of a fun change of pace that I don't have to focus those workshops on teaching craft. It's more about appreciating stories. So I would argue that everyone should go to a writing exercise class or I call them prompt workshops or whatever. I do them at bookstores too. So it brings in anyone who wants to dare to try to capture a story and then they're just flooded with appreciation when we have them read and talk about it so it's it's just a joy well if i have some time i would love to do one around here maybe with like local students or something because they i know these kids have a lot of stories and kids nowadays there's just so much anxiety built up in them um so i think that'd be really interesting so i'm gonna maybe yeah, i mean i've done I've done countless prompt workshops, you know, with with senior bicyclists on mm -hmm. on road trips, you know, who probably at eight at night when I was hired to do my workshop, the last thing they wanted to do was write, you know, but and from kids and at bookstores where people randomly walk in or, you know, as I said, AmeriCorps or, or um, uh, women's shelters, there is never, never anyone who can't do it. Mm -hmm. who doesn't write end up writing something and i'm not talking about perfectly formed stories but even if it's sort of word association that lands on the page or you know one line at the end that's like a trap door to wow something that was really on their mind or weirdly enough sometimes perfectly formed stories no one doesn't create something that is meaningful and and i'm i'm not being pollyanna-ish i really feel that way and of course as a writing instructor 
trained to always see first what's vibrating, what's interesting, what's positive or meaningful already in that piece. I can pull that out so easily because I've been trained to do that. I've trained myself to do that for 30 years so or, or 20 years. So it's really any any community can do this. And um, it's nerve wracking for them at first, but then the minute they share and read, it's nothing but hopefully uplifting. Well, it sounds like it. So I want to know, you just mentioned you rewrote a couple, you had a new one, but are you already thinking about like your next book or are you like, Kendra, let's, I'm taking a break. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Here, let's put it this way, Kendra. Kendra, I just took a break. Now (laughs) it's time to get off this stick because I do have a new book contract and I'm working on another collection of essays, but it was coming slow. And I think maybe it was all just too much after the thing. So I didn't realize that I needed a month or two or three, or it would be such a slow start. I thought, oh, you're going to be on fire. You just, you know, finished a previous book, but it was quite the opposite. But lately in the past week or two, and of course I kept at it, but it just wasn't flowing. But in the past week or two, I actually finally feel like whatever rest I needed or whatever I had to go through, it's starting to dissipate. And as long as I show the same discipline I did with the other books, it'll, I'll be just fine. So, um, and start to really enjoy the process again, versus the way it has been the past couple of months. Like, oh my God, I got it right. I've got nothing. Uh, so, so, you know, I mean, that's, I think a nice message for every writer is sometimes just don't be so hard on yourself. Even when you're not writing, you're usually are doing something in your unconscious that's feeding the writing in one way or another. And if you really are looking at that computer and stuck, whether it's for a week or even a month or two, sometimes you need a break and you'll probably come back stronger. That said, you know, procrastination is a thing. And if it's just that, that's a different thing than if you're truly burnt out. Mm. So. Yeah, that's good advice. Good advice I need because some I have all these ideas in my head and then I'm like, oh, I have like ADD. I'm like, oh, wait, no, no. And I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. But yeah, but not my lists. I always have to make my list. But before those we help. go, <laughs> yeah, no, those help. You know, whatever it takes, whatever tricks it takes to make yourself sit at your chair, mm-hmm. not be overwhelmed, is really important. And overwhelm is one of the biggest things that prevents people from writing. Like if you have so many projects going, or if you sit down, I got to work on my novel. Well, holy cow, what's a novel versus I want to work on this scene today. So any tricks you can employ to to skirt that overwhelm that so often comes in writing is, you know, it's part of the writer's job, I think, to, to do that. For me, what's getting me back into writing is I, live next door to a nice cafe and I'm going there at 8 a.m. every day and I teach at 10 so I have to be back but in that short amount of relatively short amount of time being in that different environment somehow it's fed me just sinking into writing a little bit better so that's a little trick that I'm employing now at least for the time being and then after that trick stops working you got to find another one (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to find some tricks but before we go, I want to know, can you remind people where they can find you and well, your new books and your old books online, all the books to come? <laughs> oh, you're so dear. Um, by the way, Kendra, this has been really fun. I love your questions and, and getting this chance to chat with you. My website, my author website is um, www.joniebcole.com. 
com. And then there's links to all my books, The Writing Guides and Party Like It's 2044. And I think links to Amazon and some independent retailer of books. So hopefully some of your readers will check out the books. And if they ever want to reach out to me, my email is on that website. All right. Well, Joni, thank you again for uh, taking the time to talk to me about your writer crush and writing today. And everyone, you can find all that information below. And until next time, as always, keep crushing it. Crushgasm is part of the I Did Not Make These Rankings podcast network, alongside some other pretty cool shows, including An Evening at the Movies, Crime, Rewind, Literature Reapers, Love is Black, Masturbators, Men are the Prize, and The Simplest. You can find all of us and more over at IDNMTRpodcastnetwork.com.